This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're a dog parent, your four-legged friend probably has a cushier life than you do. You might hate the idea of someone mistreating your canine pal. But what if you found out he came from a profit-driven puppy mill? Puppy Mills are at the center of Puppy Kingpin, an investigative podcast from Sony Music and Neon Hum Media. With us is the podcast's host, Alex Schumann. Welcome to Reset, Alex. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Mindy Callison. She's the founder and executive director of Bailing Out Benji. That's a national nonprofit that researches and educates about the puppy mill industry. Hey, Mindy. Hi. Thank you for having me. Mindy, can you help situate us? What's a puppy mill? Well, a puppy mill is typically a commercial dog breeding facility that puts the profit over the welfare of the animals. So this differs from a responsible breeder who treats their dogs as pets, who does a lot of the genetic health testing to make sure the puppies are healthy and the adult breeding dogs are healthy. These are literally just commercial breeding facilities that pump puppies out for the public to buy. Mm. How did you get involved in advocacy against these puppy mills? I actually bought my first dog from a puppy mill. I had no idea after walking into a pet store that that's where my puppy was born. Wow. How did you come across this story, Alex? I originally came across the story after the Iowa Attorney General filed the first in the nation case accusing someone of puppy laundering. And it was just that term alone, puppy laundering, that caught my attention. One, right, right. I was curious why would you need to launder a puppy? <laughs> and so I started to look into it and just kind of started to slowly unravel what turned into a pretty bizarre and insane story. Why don't we dig into the person who's at the center of all this, Alex? That's JoLynn Nodi. What's her story? JoLynn, uh, her, she grew up, so far from what we've all figured out, is she grew up in her family had a dog breeding business, and they were also puppy brokers. So something that we talk a lot about in Puppy Kingpin is a lot of people think of middlemen in certain industries like furniture or someone who is there between the factory and the retail business, but that also exists in the puppy business. And so she was raised by a, in a family that was doing that type of work and then decided to go off on her own and created a very successful puppy brokerage called Jack's Puppies with one of her friends. Mm. Mindy, definition again, what's a puppy broker? And how do breeders use them to traffic puppies uh, across state lines? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, Most breeders across the country that sell puppies to pet stores or online websites are USDA licensed, and they're licensed as breeders. And so this entire world uh, exists... um, called the brokering world where they get an additional license and these brokers will just pick up puppies from breeders all over the country sometimes those breeders are licensed sometimes they are not and then they will transport these dogs upwards of 25 hours away to pet stores across the country and they really exist to provide a lack of transparency Um, once these puppies go to a pet store the customers are told well this puppy came from jack's puppies but that's not really where they were born. So it just kind of provides more secrecy to this industry so the public really has no idea what they're supporting. Let's listen to some of the podcast here. Alex, you you came across a number of fraudulent nonprofit dog rescues. 
selling animals from puppy mills to pet stores, including pet stores right here in Chicago. Let's listen to what a Chicago pet store owner told you. Here's what I do know. When I purchased an animal from that organization, it was guaranteed healthy, and the animals that were coming from there had breeders that were vetted properly. Okay. How do you, how do, how do you go wrong there? So, Alex, that was you talking to Jim Sparks Jr. He's basically admitting to involvement in a pretty wild scheme. Why do you think that he was willing to talk to you? Well, one of the things is that not everyone uh, would talk to me, but I think the big reason that some people did like Jim is because they don't think they're doing anything wrong, and they would say that the claims that animals are being harmed are exaggerated and that these new laws that they're accused of going around are unnecessary. But as we figure out in the podcast and as we show to you, there is animal mistreatment happening, and it's very widespread. When uh... Jim... But to Jim, his point is simply that that's not happening. And so he had no problem talking about it. Of course. Wanted to get that that out there. But what did Joe Lynn and her spokespeople say when you reached out? Joe Lynn also says that it's something that animal rights activists are making up and over-exaggerating and that sad things do happen within the industry, but that that is a rare occurrence. And then other people from within the industry uh, that we spoke to talked about how these fake nonprofits are just a way that some businesses are turning to for their own survival. Because what I discovered is and didn't realize is how profitable the puppy industry is. And as a whole, we're talking about millions of dollars at stake for these businesses. And so many of them are turning to nonprofit status because Mm -hmm. outside of that Iowa case, it's gone unchallenged for the most part. Mindy, what standards do commercial breeders have to meet under the USDA? I think the public would be really, really shocked to learn that these standards that USDA breeders have to follow are extremely lax, and they haven't been updated since 1966. So these standards aren't science-based. Um, the most important one that people are horrified to learn is that if you're a USDA licensed breeder, you will need to provide six inches of extra space around the dog for their cage size. And so that means as long as the dog can stand up, turn around, and lay down within their cage, that's the Mm -hmm. only space they need for the rest of their lives. To put that into an image that people can picture, that would be like a beagle living its entire life in a cage the size of an oven or a Labrador or Siberian Husky living in a bathtub its entire life. So that is USDA licensed and approved. Wow, I'm I'm trying to pick my jaw up from the floor right now. Where do vets come into this, Alex? Vets have a very complicated place in this story because oh, they're really on both sides. You find veterinarians that talk about how conditions are not great at most commercial breeding facilities, but then they do have veterinarians that work with them as well. Uh, Joe Lynn has one that we talk about and one whose signatures pop up on all the documentation for the uh, fake rescue dogs as well, where they are signing off on hundreds of puppies a day. So they are, or, or a week, excuse me, and they have to look over these puppies and at least vouch that they're healthy. So in order for JoLynn's business to be successful and stick to the USDA regulations, a vet has to work with her and help her. But then there are also veterinarians on the other side who say, 
this is mistreatment and that, you know, you can't mass produce dogs. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, you've probably heard of money laundering, but how about puppy laundering? That's the focus of Puppy Kingpin. That's a podcast that's hosted by Alex Schumann. We're talking to Alex and also one of his sources in the podcast, who's Mindy Callison. Mindy, most people would not guess that a dog rescue or a nonprofit is actually a front for a puppy mill, right? As you've, you've mentioned, how can dog owners make sure that they aren't supporting puppy mills when they try to get a dog? Well, first and foremost, if you walk into a pet store like Petco or PetSmart and they have an adoption event, that is a safe place to get a dog. That is a safe pet store to go to because the representative of the rescue or shelter is typically there. And you would still have to sign up to become an adopter. Typically, they ask you a few questions about your lifestyle and why you want this dog just so they know it's going to a good home. On the other side of that, there are still pet stores in Illinois right now that are pretending to be selling rescue dogs. And when you walk into those stores, the puppies are all eight weeks old. They're typically purebred or designer dogs, and they're on sale for anywhere from $4,000 to $10,000 a piece. That's wow. not rescue. Yeah, that's a, that's the clear, clear difference there, you know. Talk about other legislation, Mindy, that, that's there to prevent operations like these. So right now, unfortunately, no state has taken the leadership role of putting in a bill that would crack down on these sham nonprofits. But federally, there are two bills that would crack down on puppy mills. There's the Puppy Protection Act, which would upgrade those USDA standards that we spoke about earlier, and also Goldie's Act which was um, sponsored by Congresswoman Cindy Axney of Iowa. And she was horrified to learn just this week when I went to visit her office in D.C. that this charity fraud is happening. And so she's very interested in doing something federally to crack down on puppy mills who are getting their nonprofit status. Alex, how did JoLynn use nonprofits as a front for all this? Most of it is really a paper trail game. And so how she was able to do it is Chicago had passed the humane ordinances where they weren't, pet stores were no longer allowed to sell puppies from commercial breeders or large scale breeders. And so what she did is they were still allowed to sell them from rescues. So uh, she filed with the Iowa Secretary of State and created a rescue called Hobo Canine and it had the same address as her for-profit puppy brokerage and had all the same employees, all the same signatures, everybody else that was still involved. And essentially, based on the evidence, what the Iowa Attorney General says is she was just operating her business as usual, but as if it was a rescue. Mm. You know, it sounds like every time lawmakers crack down on operations like JoLynn's, People in the puppy mill industry, they, they manage to find these new loopholes, right? And in episode seven, you come across someone like this in Arlington Heights, which is a Chicago suburb. Let's listen. Basically, Lane wants to turn his for-profit pet store into a for-profit rescue. Um, Little Paw would be an animal shelter focusing on the adoption of small dogs no larger than 15 pounds. What became clear watching the meeting, though, was that the commission didn't seem to buy into what Lane was saying. You will be a not-for-profit, but you actually will have a business model and you will make some return 
uh, above your costs and so forth. So I can't see that this is actually going to change your operation at all. Talk more about how widespread this fake rescue movement is, Alex. Yeah, well, as Mindy touched on, we are starting to still see them throughout the country. I mean, in Illinois, uh, there's still at least one known one in Missouri. Um, Mindy had just uh, alerted people in Ohio of one, and they are popping up. It's not like there's hundreds and hundreds appearing, but it is definitely a tactic that you do see different businesses using. Yeah. Well, your final episode, it's called Consequences. That's a bit ominous. What can listeners expect from this story's finale? You can expect to hear at least what happens in the first case against JoLynn, but also that there is a growing number of different lawsuits out there. And then the solutions. You know, it's a very dark story at times. It's not graphic. You know, we don't get into too much detail there, and we try to keep that easy for people because it's a podcast for dog lovers. But at the end, we try to get into solutions. We try to get into what's coming to try and solve these problems. Yeah. That's Alex Schumann, host of Puppy Kingpin. Mindy Callison is the founder and executive director of Bailing Out Benji. Now, the seventh and final installment of Puppy Kingpin, that's available right now wherever you get your podcasts. Very interesting stuff, folks. Thank you both. All right, Mindy and Alex, they gave us a few tips there for recognizing dogs that may have come from puppy mills. But how can you be sure that you are not taking part in this puppy mill industry? To answer that question, we are joined by Susanna Homan, CEO of Paws Chicago. Welcome back to Reset, Susanna. Hi, so nice to be back. What is the difference between buying a dog at a pet store, getting one from a breeder, and adopting a puppy from an organization like Paws, for instance? I think uh, one of the biggest differences is shelter organizations aren't motivated by profit. And one thing people should be concerned about if they are buying a dog and thinking, oh, it's harmless to be purchasing a puppy mill animal, we know that it's not. Um, And we also know that people in industries that are motivated by profit often do the wrong things to get there. So um, in in the case of animals and companion pets, you really want to be focused on the welfare of the animal. Uh, So in our case, you know, at PAWS, we are very conscious that we're trying to end euthanasia. We're trying to build no-kill communities. Our motivations are greater than a profit margin would be. Yeah. Uh, have you all at, at PAWS ever rescued or rehomed dogs from puppy mills? Uh, we do know that we have, for instance, we see kind of, um, mama dogs that are that are um, no longer useful for breeding, that are sometimes abandoned. Um, we do know that we receive animals that maybe were acquired that way, but then somebody gives them up and they end up as a stray or, or relinquished at animal care and control. So we do know that puppy mill animals enter the shelter system. Yeah. Well, what other advice can you offer Chicagoans listening now who are looking to bring a pet into their family? Sure. Well, I talk to people every day, and I think that the reason many people choose to go to breeders or sometimes pet stores and acquire puppy mill animals is 
there's a misconception about the types of animals available in shelters. And the truth is we see everything. We see everything from newborn puppies to full-grown adults. And we see every size and we see every breed and every every mutt you can imagine. And so there there are limitless options for people to adopt. And another big misconception is people think, well, every one of these animals at a shelter has been abused. And that's not true. What we are seeing now with the economic difficulty of 2022 and just the, the kind of turmoil um, of people losing homes, losing their health, uh, and just struggling to, to pay the bills every month, is there a mm-hmm. lot of people are giving up pets that have lived in homes. And so a lot of the pets entering the system right now have had wonderful lives and lived with loving families, and maybe somebody died and there's no one to take the pet or someone lost their home and they have nowhere to go and they have to give up the pet. So the thing that people should know is that the pets that they're getting at a shelter often have been loved and are very ready to be loved again and maybe are only in our system for a week or two in between homes. So it's always nice, I think, for people to know that they can have any type of animal with any type of background or experience, any size, any age, we have everything. I mean, and it sounds like, especially in recent months and and years, there's been some overcrowding in Chicago animal shelters. What's the situation right now, Susanna? Well, adoptions are strong, thankfully, because we are able to bring in a lot of animals. I would say anecdotally, we're seeing more senior pets relinquished. And uh, and so we're, we're seeing more senior pets enter our program. And they need more advanced medical care. So that may mean a lot of them need dental surgery. So at PAWS, one of the things we've done at our medical center is we've recently hired a dental surgeon because we're just seeing a lot of these older animals that need a little extra medical care before they're adoptable and ready to go. Um, And we are thankful to be able to provide that. Uh, We are a big part of the infrastructure of uh, sheltering in the city. We have the largest yeah. intake partner of animal care and control. So we know if not us, then who? Uh, so then, we, we very much are stepping up and offering more medical care to those pets that need need more before they can go into a home. Does PAWS have any adoption events coming up soon? We do. I, we are open seven days a week. And throughout the summer, we do pop-up adoption events. I would say on our website, pawschicago.org, they can be found. Clear the Shelters is coming up uh, in the middle of August. And that's nice. a nationwide campaign. Uh, so uh, there, there are just always things going on. And what about folks listening now who really want to help Susanna, but they can't commit to adopting a dog right now? Anything that they can do? So many things they can do. Um, first of all, we love when people can volunteer. So a lot of people get their animal fixed just by coming to pause for a few hours a week and walking dogs or petting kittens uh, or helping clean out their spaces or feeding them, all the different things that we need to do. We do a lot of things with volunteers. Um, if your home can take an animal, even for a couple of weeks, we love fosters. And it's not a lifelong commitment. It's you know, give us as much time as you can. And then, of course, we depend on donations for everything that we do. So there are a lot of ways that people can help. That is Susanna Holman, who's the CEO of Paws Chicago. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is a great issue to be talking about, and we appreciate that you're bringing awareness to it. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.